You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. What up, Life Church Livonia? My name is Alex, and I am one of the pastors here at Life Church. If this is your first time with us, I just want to say welcome. We're super glad you're here. I believe God's brought you here on purpose today. And if you've been with us a hundred times, welcome back. Okay, great to be here together, fam. Today, we're starting a new series, Like a Good Neighbor. And the core of this series is to look at what it means as followers of Jesus to live our lives in the world like a good neighbor in the name of Jesus. And the core scripture for this series is in the book of Mark chapter 12. And the scripture says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's the why behind this series is our church exists so that real people The people you know in your neighborhood, at school, in your workplace, in your family might come to know our real and living God and experience life and life to the full in Jesus Christ, both in this life and the next one. That's why Life Church Livonia exists. And the purpose of this series, my hope in this series, is to recalibrate us as followers of Jesus as we head into a new season of the fall. And I want to calibrate us around these two greatest commandments. Because if we don't calibrate around these things, we will find ourselves busy, harried, lonely, purposeless, fearful, unfulfilled, and lacking meaning. And if we do, no matter what happens, coming up here in the world or in our country, we will find life and life to the full in Jesus. Because Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And we want to join Jesus on that mission this fall as Life Church Livonia. So each week we're going to be completing this sentence like a good neighbor. So this week is like a good neighbor, we love God first. Next week is like a good neighbor, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The next week is like a good neighbor, we grab a corner. Week four is like a good neighbor, we begin to notice. And our final week is like a good neighbor, we give what we have. As many of you know, Amber and I are pregnant. Our baby Sophia is due here really soon in like five or six weeks. Unbelievable. I'm really excited to meet her. And uh, we spent a lot of time this last week getting the baby room, the nursery ready. So we moved Amber's um, office stuff into one room. We consolidated. We took pictures down and TV mounts were extracted. And so our house, our, our the wall just looked like Swiss cheese. You know, all these like old holes from things. It became really clear, like, okay, we're going to have to repaint here. I so tell Amber, listen, girl, you're pregnant. I got this. I'll get the paint. I'll do the project. I'm your man. 
And so I make my list and I, uh, I figure out you know, what I need from Home Depot to get this done, you know, the rollers and the brushes and the paper. And you know, I go through all of it and I go, great, here I go. I run off to Home Depot and I'm about, you know, halfway, three quarters of the way there. And I start getting that nagging feeling like I'm missing something, you know? And you're like, okay, what would I be missing? I got my list, just rollers, paintbrushes, you know, paper to lay on the ground. What? The paint. I had forgotten to grab the paint can I was trying to get a replica of, so I had no idea what color I was going to Home Depot to get. But instead of turning around, because I would have wasted six whole minutes of my life if I turned around, instead of turning around, I decide, no, it's okay, I can fix this. I'm gonna call Amber, someone else can figure out the paint. So I call Amber, we FaceTime, She's like, where's the paint? Where's the can? So it's in the basement. It's a bare paint can. It's gray paint. You can't miss it. So I FaceTime her. She goes down there. We find a gray paint can, uh, gray paint with bear on it. She takes a picture of the numbers. I get the paint can. Problem solved. Get home, spackle everything up, wait 20 minutes for it to dry. And I go with the first coat of paint. And I look at it and I'm like, this is really dark. This is... This is really dark. It'll dry light though. It's gotta be this, it's gotta be right. I mean, I got the numbers, right? You know, and, and there's no way they would have messed that up. So I just go, I, I'm just freaking myself out. So I roll another, I do the whole wall. 30 minutes later, it did not dry light. It just was really, really dark. And I was like, what could have possibly gone wrong? And so I come down to the basement and I look at the bare paint cans and there are two bare paint cans, both of which happen to be gray. One is a very light gray and the other is kind of a normal gray. And I realize immediately because I did not slow down enough to go and get the paint can myself, we had made a mistake. And that uh, because of that, I had totally botched the whole project. Not only did I, I, I was nervous about wasting six minutes, but now I had wasted $60 and two days of time. I had missed the main thing. The whole point of the project was the paint. I was getting the paint to repaint the walls and I thought I could skip the paint and somehow still get the project done. Now I tell you this story because when it comes to loving our neighbors, many of us miss the main thing. We're so motivated, some, or we're convicted, sometimes we're guilt-ridden even. Whether we want to love the people in our world, we rush to the second greatest commandment, which is to love our neighbors, we love ourselves, and we skip right past the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But there is a reason that loving God comes before loving our neighbor. Because every single person we meet in the whole world was made for a relationship with God. Genesis shows us that this is part of our design as human beings. We were made for intimate relationship with both God and people. And the love of God is infinite. It's eternal. It's endless. It knows no bounds in width and depth and height and length. And the whole in the human being that's made for this love of God, we call a God-sized hole. That hole is so deep, so long, so wide, so infinite that only God can fill it. So when we try to love people without first being filled with God's love for us, we miss the main thing. And the result is that we offer people a false and dangerous gift. We offer them a love that promises fullness but can't fulfill. We offer 
something that looks like hope, but that runs out. We offer something that pretends to be salvation, but can't save. We offer what looks to be a solution, but it doesn't satisfy. Not only that, but the same is true for us. When we try and fill the space in our own being with loves other than the love of God, maybe a love of money, maybe a love of sex, maybe a love of work, maybe a love of success, maybe a love of ourselves, maybe even a love for our families. These loves are not all bad or wrong. And they have their right place. That place just isn't first place. They can't replace God's love in fulfilling us. So when we love other people before we pause to love for, to receive God's love and love him, we miss the main thing. And the question I want to answer today is, what does it look like to make the main thing the main thing? That's the question we're going to be answering today because honestly, deeply, truly, if we get this right, everything else falls into place. Everything else falls into place if we get this one thing right. So let's take a look at our scripture again for this series, and then we're going to split it into some sections and talk through it for the remainder of our time. The scripture says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now we're going to split this passage into four sections here. We're going to look at how to apply it to our lives. All scripture is trying to help us know something about God and do something in obedience to God because this is what we were designed for, right? So we're going to split this into four sections here. Section one, we want to look at what is a commandment. Number two, we want to look What kind of love is Jesus talking about here? Number three is we want to look at the different parts that he mentioned, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then lastly, we want to talk about living in love and not striving for love. So first things first is, what is a commandment? Okay, so Jesus has been challenging some of the teachers, the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were just two different denominations of the Jewish religion at the time of Jesus. And they've been asking him some difficult theological questions. The point of this conversation was to trap Jesus in a theological conundrum and discredit his teachings and ministry. One of these tests is to ask Jesus what the greatest commandment is. Now, just to put this in perspective, the Jewish people have listed 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. 613. And of those 613, 248 are positive commandments, meaning do this. And 365 are negative commandments, don't do this. So this question was absolutely meant to trap Jesus and get him to create a controversy, a division, something that would discredit his teachings and ministry. To the Jewish people, their moral and spiritual standing as good or bad, worthy or unworthy, saint or sinner, was based on their ability to keep all 613 of these commandments. Now, words like law and commandments often bring up negativity in us, right? It can bring words to mind like legalism or religiousness in a negative way or harsh or judgmental. It can make us think of Moses and the people of Israel at Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments, but 
I want to take all of the negative associations with commandments and we're just going to take them and put them over here for a second, okay? Because our baggage with that idea is not present here in this text. We're bringing that to this text, okay? So let's talk about what commandments are just in the context of the Jewish life. <clears throat> so the context of the Ten Commandments in all 613, right, is that the Hebrew people were enslaved by Egypt for 400 years. That's roughly like six generations of people. That's a long, long time. And for those six generations, they were abused, they were without rights, they were treated as subhuman, and they weren't even allowed a day off to rest. God frees his people from this state, and he leads them out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he gives them these 613 laws, including the Ten Commandments. Now, if these laws were harsh, legalistic, judgmental, and rigid, why would God do that to them, right? I mean, that doesn't seem very kind or loving. I wanted to look at all Ten Commandments one by one and go through them, but we literally just don't have time. So if you want to, and I encourage you to, check out Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments are on your own. And you'll notice that if you do that, the first three commandments are all about what it looks like to love God. The fourth commandment is giving this people who are treated as subhuman and never allowed to not work a day off. We call it the Sabbath, a day of rest. And then the last six commandments are about how to love people in community. And they include things like don't steal from each other, don't commit adultery, don't uh, envy each other and try to take each other's stuff. Right? Like, there's basic rules of society. So the laws that God gave this newly freed nation of former slaves are not meant to re-enslave them. These commandments are God's teaching this group of people how to live as whole, healthy, and flourishing people. Because like all of us, if we don't learn how to live differently, we just repeat the same things that were done to us and we'd done before. And Israel is going to struggle on and off with this for generations, okay? But God in this passage is trying to set up some new rules for this new nation in order to help them flourish into people who are experiencing the life and life to the full that they were made for. So when we talk about commandments, we're not talking about legalism, we're not talking about rigidity, we're not talking about uh, moralism or like a negative religiousness. When we're talking about commandments, we're talking about God's rules of life that allow us to flourish. God's rules of life that allow us to flourish. So when Jesus says this is the greatest commandment, he is saying that the one thing that will lead to the greatest human flourishing, both personally and corporately, is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that's what Jesus means by commandment. But now the question is, what does he mean by love? Right? Because if you've been in church for a while, or maybe you took a class on, uh, you know, Greek history or something like that, you'll know that uh, the Greek language in which the book of Mark is written in has four different words for love. The first one is a word called phileo. This is a love of friendship. Uh, this is the love that friends have for one another. And it's an important love because it's one of the only loves you choose, right? You don't, you're not required to be friends with people. It's freely given. It's a beautiful love. Now, love number two is storge. This is the love that family members have for one another, that you have for the people that you are blood related to. This is the love that a parent has for their child, siblings for each other, and children for their parents. The third is eros, which is a sexual love. 
This is where we get our word erotic from. And this uh, is a kind of love that has been written about in so many pop songs for the last hundred years and many before. It's not a bad love by any means, but it's primarily a physical love that's a skin level love, not a soul level love. And then the fourth love is a love called agape. And agape is a self-sacrificial love. It is a love that is not interested in its own benefit, but is willing to sacrifice so that another might flourish and thrive. It is a love that gives itself up for the benefit of another. It's the kind of love a parent shows their newborn when it's 3 a.m. and the newborn needs to eat and they get up out of bed. But it's the kind of love a husband shows his wife when he says no to a woman at work who's making advances toward him. It's the kind of love that does the chores so your spouse or parents don't have to when they get home from a long day at work. This is the kind of love that God showed for us when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's the kind of love that says, I love you more than I love my own comfort and self, and I'm willing to sacrifice so that you might benefit and flourish. And so when Jesus says to love the Lord your God, the word he's using there is agape, meaning he's saying to give of yourself, treating God as more important than yourself. Meaning, when Jesus is combining that with this idea of the greatest commandment, the greatest thing we can do to flourish as individuals and, and as a group is to give ourselves to God. Treating God as the main thing that is more important than ourselves. Now, this isn't one-sided, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. But next, Jesus then goes into these different parts uh, of the, the categories in which he's asking us to love God. So Jesus gives these categories um, within we sh which we show this agape love. He's saying to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? So what does it mean when he says this? Well, first of all, these are the categories that make up a human person. In Genesis 1 and 2, we're told we're made in God's image, meaning we have these categories in us because God has these things. We have a heart because God has a heart. We have a mind because God has a mind. We have strength because God has strength. We have a spirit because God has a spirit, right? So listing these categories, what he's saying is love God with all, your whole personhood, with everything, not just that you have, with everything you are, with every part of who you are. And so I want to just go through each of these and talk a little bit about what's encompassed in each of these words. So the word for heart denotes a couple things. It denotes our affections, meaning like what I'm drawn to and attracted to and love. It denotes our desires, the things I want and want to pursue. And it denotes our emotions, what I'm feeling inside of me. Our mind is uh, our intellect, it's our thoughts, it's my intelligence, it's my EQ, it's my ability to learn. And, and my thoughts, loving God with my thoughts is about submitting my thoughts to God, not dwelling on sinful or selfish things. Our soul is really multi-layered because there's some uh, different levels to soul. There's a, a little bit more superficial level of our personality, like who we would say that we are, right? But there's also our spirit and who we are kind of at the very bedrock of ourselves, our very nature before any nurture has entered in, right? And so to love God with all of our soul is to let him determine who we are. It's to let his love shape and mold and form us at our deepest level. 
And then finally, our strength. Our strength includes our physical body, and it also includes our physical energy, you know, to just to pour out uh, the physical energy that I have in service of another. Now, I went through those pretty quickly because I had had like all these different aspects to it, and I went into your emotions and how uh, when we're submitting our emotions to God or loving God with our emotions, it doesn't mean not feeling things. It means giving, uh, being honest with him and processing those with him. And I, I wanted to go into all the details about each one of them. And if you want to talk about that, I'd love to sit down. Please send us a message. Comment in the comment section. Message us on Facebook. You know, you know the drill. Um, but I just don't have time today. And so what I thought might be more helpful is to take this idea of heart, mind, soul, and strength and put it into another context that many of us have experienced or at least have a framework for. Um, to love God with all those parts of myself can seem demanding or overwhelming, but the Bible talks about marriage as this analogy for what it looks like to love God in depth of relationship. In Ephesians 5, it's called this mega revelation. And so I want to apply each of these categories to a marriage. So let's talk about heart. Right? In a marriage, a marriage can only thrive and create a healthy and whole family when the spouses are directing their hearts towards each other, right? When they're directing and protecting their affection so that my affections are pointed at my wife, Amber, not at other women. When my desire is for my wife, Amber, not other women. And that takes some work, but it's also a natural draw right? And then for my emotions, being honest with Amber about what I'm feeling and sharing those openly with her and working towards solutions together as a couple. And when one person allows their heart to start to drift towards someone else, the relationship begins to deteriorate. And the same is true of our relationship with God. Now let's talk about our mind. How many of you know that if you don't think about your spouse very often, they're going to let you know? <laughs> right? That we have to become students of our spouse. We have to learn their likes. We have to learn their dislikes, their preferences. We have to learn their quirks and their love languages. We have to learn from them and be interested in knowing them and in every part of who they are. And if we don't do that, our marriage is just going to struggle. But when we use all of our intellect and our IQ and our creativity and our thoughtfulness and our intelligence and our attention, to love and serve our spouse, learning from them and about them, our marriage begins to flourish. Now let's talk about our soul. This is usually in marriage where rubber starts to meet the road a little bit. I remember before I started dating Amber, there were parts of my personality I really, really liked. And um, I, I, when I started dating Amber, I was really sarcastic. I know some of you find that super hard to believe. But uh, my brothers and I were very sarcastic. And I rarely let an opportunity go to take a jab or make a joke at somebody. Uh, not only that, but I was also super efficient. I super valued efficiency. I woke up at 5.30 like every day and I had the whole schedule for my life and I deeply valued efficiency. But when I started dating Amber, she hated my sarcasm. I mean like hated it and just straight up called me out for it more than once. Uh, she just felt like it was unnecessarily mean towards others. I'm like, why make a joke at their expense if you could have just been kind? You know, and that's her. She's so sweet. And then as far as efficiency goes, 
I don't think efficiency would even clock in the top 25 values of Amber. Like not even in the top 25. I, she is just so slow and goes at her own pace and likes to mosey and be present. And I love that about her, but that was not me. And I had to quickly come to this realization. I have to let some of these parts of me that I like go, or I have to let Amber go. That's the options. And I either need to allow myself to change and, uh, and adapt to her needs, wants, desires, uh, instead of just going, no, this is who I am, accept me or get out, right? And the same is true in our relationship with God. In the same way I allowed Amber to form parts of my identity, we allow God to form our whole identity. And then finally with our strength, how many of you know that it's not possible to serve your family without exerting physical energy through your body. <laughs> and then when we get married, our bodies are no longer just our own. I have given myself exclusively to Amber and her to me. And my body is here in service of her in so many ways, whether that just be chores around our home, whether that be physical intimacy, be it a million different things, right? And that uh, if I don't love her with my body, I don't really love her. You know what I mean? And the same is true in our relationship with God. So I, I give you that analogy because if it takes all of me to create a flourishing relationship with my wife, how much more to create a flourishing relationship with the lover of my soul, with Jesus? When we give our hearts, minds, our souls, our strength to lesser things that aren't God, we're promised a satisfaction that never comes. And a fulfillment we experience just for a moment, but then it fades and disappears. And the hole it leaves is bigger than what we had before. But when we love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, we find the love that we were made for. But then the question is, how do we avoid striving and legalism in this? Because for some of us, some of that comes intuitively and we feel very comfortable with that. For others, this can feel like a checklist. Like, oh my gosh, I'm doing pretty good in body, but I don't know about mind and the soul. I haven't even thought about the soul. You know, and it just can feel overwhelming. Like, I feel like a failure already because I know I'm not loving God in these different ways. And what's so important to recognize about this is in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates all things and then he speaks over the human person. This is very good. You are so very good. And what we call worship, the song that all creation sings was begun by God himself. And I want you to know every day God looks at you and goes, I love you. You are so good. And when we love him back, we complete that circle and go, God, I love you too. You're so good. And so this loving of God begins with the receiving. And what I give to him is a reciprocation of that, right? And so today, I just want you to know that Jesus has died for your sins. And he has provided a way for life and life to the full for you. And he is crying out, I love you. And I want you to be whole. And when we receive that, that gives us the place from which we can give, both back to God and then secondly to other people. And so we avoid striving in legalism by not viewing this as it's primarily our responsibility to earn God's love by loving him perfectly in all these ways. First, we receive God's love as our Father. 
and then everything we give comes from that place. So we've gotten granular, we've zoomed into each part of this verse, and I want to look at it kind of as a whole again. And I want to summarize it by, by saying the greatest thing we can do for our flourishing and the flourishing of every person we meet is to receive the sacrificial love of God for us and to respond to that love by loving him back with all of my affections, all of my emotions, all of my thoughts, all of my desires, my intellect, my body, my energy, and my very identity. This is the main thing of life. It is the primary thing that we were created for. And it's what we would call loving union with God. This is the greatest commandment. So what does this look like in real life, right? How do we actually do this day in and day out? And I want to give you a phrase to describe this. And then I want to give you a tool in which to implement it. So the phrase I want to give you is a slowed down life of loving union with God. This is the North Star, a slowed down life of loving union with God. Usually when we skip past this first commandment and go right to the second of loving people, it's because we're busy, we're stressed, we're motivated, we're zealous, we're harried, fill in the blanks. But Jesus faced overwhelming pressures in his life, overwhelming pressures, pressures that far outstrip anything most of us will ever face. And yet he routinely stepped away from those endless demands to spend significant time with his father. He slowed down to ensure he was in sync with God and that he was in the Father and the Father was in him, powerfully filling every crevice of his body, mind, and spirit and strength. In routinely stepping away from his act of work, he entrusted the outcomes of his circumstances, the people in his life, the problems he was encountering, all to the Father. And the result of this was that every action Jesus took was rooted in a deep, rest and centeredness in this love with God. Just as Jesus lived in this loving union with the Father, he invites us to share in that. But the issue is that slowing down sufficiently, right, to allow the love of God to fully saturate us. I want you to imagine like a sponge. You know, if you had the water running and you just flipped it under there, a dry sponge, the sponge got wet, but it didn't absorb anything. And in order for that sponge to be saturated, it needs to be submersed in the water. And similarly, we need to be submersed in God's love for us. But often, slowing down to that level makes us feel vulnerable and scared. Because God wants a naked and unashamed relationship with us. Where we're totally vulnerable and He can see every part of us. But we often feel very ashamed. <laughs> and that's so far from what we want so often. We clothe, our, clothe ourselves with entertainment, with spiritual activities, with productive projects, with constant meetings, with uh, accomplishments, with hangouts with people. We busy ourselves, we numb ourselves, all the kind of outrun these inner voices that say, I'm never good enough. I'm never safe enough. I'm never perfect enough. And I'm never successful enough. But in order to live in this loving union with God, we have to slow down enough to begin to hear those voices and then begin to hear his voice say that's not true. 
But in order to do that, we need some anchors to hold us in place when the storms of life would seek to just take us out to sea. And we call these anchoring practices a rule of life. And uh, for me, for my rule of life, I use this verse of loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength as my template. And, and a rule of life is simply, uh, I make these four quadrants, right? Spirit, body, mind, and relationships. And I go, okay, in, in each of these categories, what's one thing, one practice that I'm going to work on in the next couple of months to learn to love God better in these areas? What's one thing? And we all have things in these categories already. If you come to church on a regular basis, that's in your spirit category. That's an anchor point where you go, I got to do this to stay centered. Maybe you work out three or four times a week and that's already in your body category. And you go, man, if I don't do this, I get so out of whack. Maybe you're serving at church and that's a value to you. And that's part of your relationships and your spirit categories, right? Maybe you have a goal of reading a certain number of books in a year and that's in your mind category already. Maybe you are committed to connecting with your spouse on a date or having family dinners on a weekly basis and that's in your relationships category. We all have stuff in these categories already, things that we use to ground us. And my encouragement to you is today to simply pick one practice per category that would help you over the next few months grow in your love for God. And I'd encourage you to tell a friend or a spouse, someone in your small group, and ask them just to check in with you and see how it's going. Maybe you want to read through the Bible finally, and you've never done it, and you've been nervous about it, but this year you want to do it. Maybe you want to develop a consistent devotional life because it's here and there, or it's on the way to work, but you know it's not enough to really savor God's love and be in, in union with Him. Maybe you want to track calories to lose weight and physical fitness is a priority for you over the next couple months. Maybe you want to read a book on a discipleship topic or on something you're interested in. Maybe you want to start serving or giving in a new way. Maybe you want to begin a prayer list for the first time. Maybe you want to spend some time in silence each day, just being still before God. Maybe you want to learn how to feel your feelings and express them in a healthy way. Whatever it is, pick just one anchor practice per category. And seek to work it into your life over the next couple months for the purpose of slowing down for loving union with Jesus. I don't know what you came in carrying this morning to this service. Uh, but I want you to know today that God is here and he loves you. And he is pursuing you so that you might have life and life to the full in him. And if we skip past that and try to love our neighbor without first receiving that, we're going to miss the main thing. And, and I want to encourage you to take a look at that rule of life and just go, man, Lord, you know, what's one thing I can do to love you more in the next couple months? And then focus on that. Maybe in life you're under great pressure right now. And your love for Jesus has grown cold and you're not living in loving union with him just because you've been so pushed beyond your limits. And I want you to hear God is with you in that. And he is calling you to even in that place to elevate and love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength there. He is growing you. Maybe you're living and loving you with God and you feel like your relationship with God is so rich and fulfilling. And I would ask you in that place, who is God calling you to love as an extension of that loving union with him? Maybe this morning you've searched and searched 
and you have filled your heart and mind and soul and given your strength to many different things. You've been looking for a love that would satisfy, but you keep coming up empty. This morning, I want you to know, Jesus is what you've been looking for. And he wants to fill you with all the fullness of life you have been longing for. And that comes through loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again to give us life and life to the full, to save us from sin and save us from death, and to offer us eternal life. And that gift is offered to you today, wherever you're at. And I want to invite you now to pray with me and to receive that. So Lord, some of us uh, just know that in some of those categories, our love has grown cold and we've just gotten distracted. And Lord, I just pray that you would gently call us back. And Lord, you would show us what practices maybe to invite into our life, be it stillness, be it silence, be it journaling, be it something else, Lord, that just allows us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, some of us this morning are just savoring your presence and so grateful for your love for us. And Lord, I pray you would show us who and where in our life you want us to pour that out. Lord, some of us this morning are lost and we're here looking for an answer. And Lord, I just pray now that you would impress your Holy Spirit on those hearts. And that, Lord, you would create that fire, that pressure, that burning, and just speak to those folks and say, it's me you've been looking for. I'm here. And for those of us that feel that, I just want to invite you now to just tell God, Lord, Lord, I'm yours. I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you my soul. I give you my strength. And I ask that you would fill me with your love. And that I might receive your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed with me, I want to invite you to please reach out to us via our digital bulletin, our digital connection card, so we can help you follow Jesus and love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. See you next week for our next sermon in Like a Good Neighbor.